right, this is the AM Wedge play. After a long hiatus, yes, the Yo-Yo is back, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. And we have a wonderful guest, Kathleen Antonia. Also, Kathleen Tarr, Kathleen Antonia Tarr. She's an actress. She's a lawyer. She uh, teaches uh, writing and rhetoric. Um, rhetoric, I'm sorry, rhetoric at Stanford University. So we are very, very happy to have you. How are you today? I'm all right. It's great to see you guys. Yeah, it's a wonderful Saturday morning on November the 4th. I just, <laughs> the minute you rang my bell, I was like, oh my God, i got to get out of the shower. And, but uh, no, no, I'm, I'm doing I'm doing great, and um, we're glad to have you because there have been a lot of things going on. We've been on a hiatus because I've been, I'm in the show, Norman's in a show, and you know we'll hear a little bit about that, but there are a lot of issues, especially black-related issues that we want to uh, talk about, so we're glad to have you on board. Thank you. So, as I always, um, it's been two weeks, it feels like a month. How have you been, Norman? Uh, two weeks because I was in tech. Yep, and I saw it. You were fantastic as Polonius. The entire group was fantastic, but I'll, I'll let you take the mic. Well, no, just, you know, it's, it's been a very short process, and so we are lucky. Um, Nathaniel, who plays, among other things, plays my son, Mayor Ortiz, mm-hmm. um, has done the show a number of times. He was in the park doing ha- being Hamlet. Mm-hmm. Um, he did Hamlet on a tour, a school tour. Um, he's done the show a number of times. His dream is sometime in life to have managed to get through all the <laughs> no, he is fantastic. He has an incredible energy. Yeah, he does. Uh, him and Ophelia, I mean, all of you guys, you guys have played, you know, multiple roles, you know, when I saw it last night. And, um... Uh, 33 roles. Mm-hmm. Gene King, uh, for 3D. Awesome. And wrote me this nice little thing about it. It's a, a mini review. Yeah. Yeah, seven actors, 33 roles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the pacing was just so, so tight. I mean, there wasn't a dead air. At all. No pregnant pauses, no anything like that. It's just, you know, on top action. And the one who plays Ophelia is just wonderful. Uh, yeah. Emily, yeah. I have the program, but it's in my bag, and I don't want to interrupt what's going on. So, um. See, that's, that's, that's been my world. Mm-hmm. If my voice sounds a little rough, it's because that's been my world. I've just been eating and sleeping. Yeah. Three, uh, you guys rehearsed for what, three weeks? Uh, we had a three week rehearsal process, yeah. Boy, I mean, you know, Hamlet in three weeks, that is just really, really coming. But it helps that many of you guys have done it before. That helps. And, and also the cuts have been mm-hmm. are really interesting. Um, if you're familiar with Shakespeare's structure, often Shakespeare will set up a scene where somebody will talk about something that's going to happen or a plot that is being set up. Mm-hmm. And they will outline it in detail. Then you will get to the scene where that plot unfolds. Mm-hmm. Then you will come to another scene later in the play where somebody sits and explains everything that you just saw. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit repetitive. And so in yeah. this production, they did a wonderful job of sort of folding that in. You've got uh, one moment that's like a flashback. You've got another moment mm-hmm. that is sort of parallel scenes. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and in that way, they were able to reduce. Yeah. And I love how um, it starts with speak the speech, I pray you. Right. Uh, basically setting it all up that, hey, these are actors. We're going to do Hamlet for you. And that, that was awesome. It was a wonderful framing yeah, of that. Uh, so, um, yeah, that's the Arabian Shakespeare Company. We'll plug it at the end. Um, if, uh, they had their opening last night. And you guys are running until when? Uh, we'll run through November 19th. So yeah. Right, the week before Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's Friday awesome. Friday mm-hmm. So uh, definitely check it out. Uh, current events. My God, where do we begin? We've talked about Weinstein. We've talked about um, now Kevin Spacey. Same way that Dustin Hoffman was quick to go, you know what? Mm-hmm. That did happen. I'm sorry. Yeah. But, but, but the kid, the dude was 14. He's opened the door to yeah. a whole lot of ugly. Yeah. And that's where we seem to be right now. Yeah. A whole lot of ugly is yeah. being exposed. And most importantly, everybody around me is going, oh, yeah, yeah, we kind of knew about that. And that, that's a problem, man. And Kathleen, you can sh- yeah. ch- ch- chime in any time. This whole, oh, yeah, I knew about all that. It's like, well, what have you been I saying? I've done something. Oh, yeah. And everyone talks about fear, 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 fear. Like, I'm fear of my job. I'm just a key grip or I'm a, I'm, you know, I work on the show and I don't want to lose the job. And well, before we got on the mic, we started to talk about how, you know, you sometimes have to sign these disclosure agreements. Yeah. And the fact that there are so many places that had a, no, you can't, if there's a sexual harassment issue, you mm-hmm. can't go outside and talk about it. It's like, wait a minute, why is that 
in a contract. Yeah. Well, but that's a choice as well. I mean, I, I understand the non-disclosure agreements, but you can choose not to sign it, or you can choose to debate it. And get the job. Well, I mean, but that's that's also a choice as well. I mean, you know, it, you can work for a company that has that non-disclosure agreement, or you can work for someone else. I mean, it is, I understand money is a real issue, and it, and it sounds like these individuals who are in power use money to get away with things they shouldn't be getting away with, like... You know, I'm going to give you a bunch of money, allow me to touch your ass or whatever, or to, you know, manipulate you. allow me to, because that's the funny thing about it. It's yeah. not like anybody's saying, and this gives people permission to do this. They're just saying, should some unfortunate circumstance come up, mm-hmm. you have to come to us before you go and, and try to address it. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, Norman, would you sign a non-disclosure agreement? Even if you, 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 d- and you don't know anything, you don't know the group or anything at all? I, I couldn't say. I mean, that's, it's Is funny. It, that's a good answer. Now it's finally died down, but I posted a thing about the uh, blacklist, married ex. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that became a huge debate among a few people, which was really funny. And ultimately, among black people, mm-hmm. which I love. It's like uh, the white people are just sort of taking a back seat and listening to this. And I'm like, oh, good. If you're still listening, <laughs> this is what's important. And I have a cousin, mm-hmm. Becky, who hit me with um, oh, that beautiful picture of Samuel L. Jackson in. Oh, yeah, where he's bald and he has the white, yeah, 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 yeah. Look at his Uncle Tom, his Uncle Tom. Sounds like a meme. Is it a meme? Well, he just did a photo. Okay. And he said, Norman, would you have taken this role? Oh. And I said, that is a great example of what we're talking about. Yeah. Because as a young actor, there was a point where it wasn't so much that I was choosing to take a role or not take a role. Yeah. I was uncomfortable with roles that felt we were, you know, bad people. Of course. I didn't want to be. Of course. I started to realize, wait a minute, where does that fit in the context of the story? What is the story that we're telling? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if I were aware of that, would I do it? Because the other reason that we're having Kathleen on is because mm-hmm. of this controversy with um, we're a theater company, and yeah. Thomas and Sally. And one of the attacks that started to happen was on the actors. And I'm happy that everybody jumped to the defense of those actors, but I, I my response was the same as, would I take this role? It's not that easy to say. It's not a yes or no thing. Yeah. You could get into a production like that where you know they're dealing with a controversial issue, mm-hmm. but you, they tell you that we're going to twist it in this way and it's going to be really intriguing and worthwhile, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and then as the production gels, exactly. gestates, you suddenly find yourself in the position that you didn't want to be in. Right, and that's a, that's a big problem, and Kathy, you can jump in. Yeah. There have been times where I've drunk, gone into productions and I was given a half-truth, or I was given a, well, you know, this is sort of what it's all about. Sometimes I don't even get the script. I'm given, like, a side and told, well, you know, this is where we're aiming at or whatever. But you're going to be fantastic for all you have to take the role. We want you so bad. And you feel all pumped up and, you know, know, head pat and all that stuff. I'm like, okay, great, I'll take it. And then you find out, oh, wait a minute, this is the direction it's going. But by that time... It's usually taboo for an actor to drop out of a role because you can be blackballed. It's like, oh, my God, I, we, we can't get another actor in here. Well, for, for us older folks, yeah. we remember, I remember as a child watching TV and certain actors, and I wish I could pull names, but certain actors would be announced. They're going to be on this show or they're going to be heading, you know, they're going to have a major role in this show. Mm-hmm. And they used to be mm-hmm. this actor, but then in the 50s, they got blacklisted. Yeah. I mean, that's really an American Sure, sure. And these people, because they were associated with communism and... Like Paul Robeson or... Yeah, oh yeah. Paul Robeson is a great example. Yeah. I mean, his career went away, but what I remember as a child was just going, well, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. And then you'd see the person, you're like, wow, they're really good. What happened to them? And so you find out, wow, this person spent like 20 years Mm -hmm. with practically no career because they got blacklisted. So Mm -hmm. are you that actor who stood up for your beliefs and you don't get work? Yeah. Are you the actor who kind of struggled through... Because I also remember going feeling like, oh, gosh, Ray Charles, you know, there are a number of it. Even Harry Bill, Harry Bill, yeah. where people were always like, why aren't y'all on the front line? Yeah. Uh, y'all speaking out. Yeah. Not knowing that behind the scenes, mm-hmm. they were working very hard. Yeah. You've got Ray Charles integrating audiences. That's saying, right. No, I won't play yeah. if y'all don't let 
when they talk about um, objective journalism being an objective, there's no such thing as objective. You come yeah. from a background, you come from a culture. Everyone has a thought. Everyone has an opinion. Yeah. There were people trying to talk to MTC about this as they developed this piece. That didn't go anywhere. Mm. When they got into the casting process and they had women reading sides and come and feeding back to them, I have questions. I have concerns. And they were told, mm, this script is, we have spent a lot of time developing this script. The script is what it is. We know what story we're telling. And either you are able to make that come to life or that's the end of the discussion. Wow. And it got to the point where really they were chasing, I mean, phone calls were happening. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, actress, young actresses calling mentors and saying, hey, I'm not comfortable. I don't know what to do about this. Mm-hmm. And then backing away from it so that ultimately they ended up casting some of this out of town. Yeah. And, you know, not like Berkeley Rep or ACT where they just regularly go to New York to look for talent. Yeah, this is a different reason, yeah. Brought in a lot of local people. Mm -hmm. All those local people managed to dodge it. Yeah. And so they still went ahead with the production. Mm -hmm. At a certain point, some of these women started Mm -hmm. talking to each other. Yeah. And realizing that not only did they have similar experiences, not only did they feel shut down in the same way, and it's always a weird thing when you, particularly as a black person, mm-hmm. to have somebody, director, producer, or another actor, try yeah. to tell me what it is to be a black man. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, or, and this one is the one I hate, so I love having an intelligent, um, degreed person on as a desk. That's right. Because when somebody comes to me and says, you don't understand. Mm-hmm. This is, we're working on this high concept, this meta theater, and you don't understand what it is we're trying to do. And then they don't bother to try and break it down for you because, of, you, of course, they've already defined you as somebody who couldn't possibly understand it. Mm-hmm. So this group of women wrote a letter to them. Mm-hmm. You can go ahead and read it. I mean, I'll just give a little bit of background, too, into how the group even found each other. So Tracy Camp was the person uh, through which I found out what was going on, and she had posted on social media the picture of the the playbill, which had this, as Norman, you described so well, this picture of, you know, the dollar bill, Thomas Jefferson, who looks just kind of neutral with this seductive, I think you said they tried to call it a Mona Lisa. They they didn't call it that. I'm just, because they've they've made every effort to say that she's not a seductress, that Uh that image is not the image of a seductress. And I'm like, well, then that look is then ambiguous and mysterious because... Yeah. It can be interpreted as come hither, uh, come hither look. Right, but they're saying, no, this is her. We're giving her, it's so funny, there's no female gaze represented in the language and the storytelling, but right. that is what they're showing us, supposedly. Yeah. The intelligent female looking out and going, you don't know it. Right, right exactly. they're supposed to, the, the claim that they're giving her agency somehow by making a 14-year-old <coughs> slave look seductive in a playbill. I mean, that's, right. that's a ridiculous argument but so Tracy I saw that on her social media and I saw some of the discussions back and forth and so I thought well what's within and I also felt the frustration they had that MTC wasn't listening to them and discounting them and so I thought well what can I do what, and what am I in a position of power to do and so I have a HuffPost you know contributor platform on HuffPost so I thought well give me some of your thoughts about this and I'll introduce the piece and then I'll just let you all speak for yourselves um, then ending with Caroline Hellman at Occidental talking also about slavery so I just published that piece um, so if anyone wants to find it look for Kathleen Tarr HuffPost that's the easiest way to find yeah, we'll, it we'll tag it we'll put it on our Notes, yeah. So it's the easiest way to find it. But um, so that's what I did, and then it certainly let other people know. Oh, like there's a conversation that can happen, and then this group came together to try to uh, agree upon language. Like, what are we going to ask MTC? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, this this is the letter. If you've not heard it, we, a community of African American Black diaspora theater artists of varying cultural backgrounds, religions, sexual and gender gender identities worldviews and artistic aesthetics believe the theater industry has a responsibility to create work that does not do damage to the communities it attempts to represent on stage. We are united in our belief that, from its very inception, Marin Theater Company, MTC, currently pro- current production of Thomas Bradshaw's Thomas and Sally is an irresponsible, deeply harmful project with no accountability to black women and girls. As black artists and as black women, we are all too familiar with our histories and our narratives being imagined through the gaze of white supremacist patriarchy. We take issue with producing organizations whose choices perpetuate the notion that we are a voiceless, powerless group 
incapable of understanding how we are being represented. We take issue with the dismissal of our concerns and the erasure of our country's violent history. We will engage in a facilitated meeting of NTC in October this past week. Mm-hmm. The goals of this meeting are to foster a constructive dialogue between NTC and the community and to find a way forward that ensures both advocacy for future artists and who work with the organization and the ability of NTC to present culturally diverse works in a responsible manner. Context. Throughout both the development workshops of Thomas and Sally and auditions for the production, NTC disregarded the concerns of multiple black women actors regarding the play's hypersexualization of black girls and women and its reframing of the coercive master-slave relationship between Sally Hemings and Thomas Jefferson as a love affair. Several of these actors ultimately declined role due to not only their initial concerns over the script, but also due to the dismissive responses by both the theater and Mr. Bradshaw. MTC exasperated these concerns through their marketing of the play. Artwork for the show depicts Sally Hemings as a grown woman, as seductive and in control of her circumstances. After promising to withdraw the image in response to community outcry, MTC continued to use the artwork on their playbills and education resource guide. Over the course of the performances, which are still running, which were still running at this point, MTC has consistently responded to community questions or expressions of pain with either flippant or gaslighting remarks on social media and worse, with silence. Further, in response to peaceful protest ritual for Sally Hibbs by Regina's Door, a local group mixed with survivors of sex trafficking and artists, MTC called the police. Additionally, during these peaceful actions, MTC's security staff verbally taunted and harassed protesters who have primarily been black women. Finally, MTC has extended this play without regard to any feedback they have received. We strongly contend the choice of NTC to extend this production and question the motivations behind it. Um, I'm going to take a break here because mm-hmm. it goes on to talk about the some of the demands and, and what this means. Yeah. But just to give you a chance to, if there's anything you want to add to that or respond. No, I mean, I think what's really interesting, too, is just in, in general how black women aren't considered capable of creating knowledge that they can regurgitate what other people have invented, but they can't perceive things on their own, they can't actually create things on their own, and that that's part of the complaint, I think, is uh, is really brilliant to uh, include that, the, the idea that we don't know about our own selves, and our, which is what you were talking about, too, in, in show, and I've had those, too, where it's like, well, I think a black woman would actually, and I'm like, what are you talking about to me that you think a black woman would actually, right? So, yeah. Uh, it's, 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 it's stunning that... Um, I mean, the, I wonder about, you know, I talk about uh, intent all the time, um, working in the DA's office. What is the intent of Marinthi? I mean, hearing all of this, I mean, as far as even having a protest in front of, and, and just the antagonistic reaction to it, they had no intent of working or collaborating or even trying to, you know, put a... I don't want to say put a good spin on it, but to try to make it right. I mean, mm-hmm. we talk about, you know, you and I, Norman, we've talked about theater being a community thing where, you know, we get together, we collaborate with, you know, actors or whatever, even with the community, right. to develop work that uplifts the community, mm-hmm. that gives people uh, a way of expressing themselves, a way of freedom. You know, people have come on our show all the time talking about, hey, I needed a way to express myself, and I went into a theater company, and boom, I was sort of revived. Right. This is sort of the antithesis of this. So I just wonder, from the very, very beginning, they had no, it appears they had no means of listening at all to anyone. Well, I think, and I'm so not trying to defend them, but I think they came from a place of, we know we're going to do a controversial thing, therefore we know we're going to get some responses to it, and they had already sort of, you know, yeah. built up a defensiveness yeah. around well, we can get into the concept of controversy. I mean, there's good controversy. Like, you know, let's say we talk about Trump all the time or we talk about, uh, I don't know, um, um, the military actions. And, you know, like, um, like um, um, what do you call it, um, the drones, you know, the concept of drones. Now, that's controversial, but th- that's a conversation that, that we need to have. Yeah. This type of controversy is more, it's, I, I don't want to listen. I don't want, I want to shut down, you know, uh, we know that, you know, we're presenting the black woman in a horrible way. We think that Sally Hemings was consensual in this relationship when actually she was only 14 years old. I mean, if it happened today, that would be rape. Well, and what I hate is I think, and, you know, this is the horrible place to try to talk about this. I don't know what. 
Yeah. Um, but my sense is they would try to say, no, we aren't saying that. We're just putting forward how this could have happened because obviously what you aren't saying is them dragging her into the room and brutally raping her and hearing her scream and come out crying and mm-hmm. fucking down. Apparently, you know, the, the accounts of her sound like she was an intelligent, articulate young woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so therefore, she must have done okay through all this. And yeah, and she managed to survive yeah. it enough, long enough to have six kids. So it had been gone on for a while. How is that even different than other slaves? Like, I don't understand... I mean, first of all, there are accounts of how much like a child she sounded. So, I mean, we don't have any of Sarah, nicknamed Sally Hemings, actual words. So we can't actually rely on any of that. But the accounts of her at the time were that she was she acted like a child. Like there wasn't any sudden maturity. Like she wasn't more mature than anyone else. She was a little kid. Um you know, they just uncovered her room yeah. at Monticello, which had no windows, would have been cold and damp, mm-hmm. uh, and he never freed her. So it's not like, I, I don't know. I don't understand how anyone yeah. can even shape their yeah. minds around the possibility. And, and, and I, hear, I hear a lot of people, especially with the, conf- with the Confederacy and the statue thing, it's like, well, listen, this is how history was. This is how it was in the past. And we can't go back in the history and, you know, and we're, we're looking at it from a 21st century perspective. But... It is what it is. She was 14 years old. She had no means of consent whatsoever. And, you know, I read history a lot. I mean, you hear about these presidents like John Tyler, the 10th president. He went through two wives and 14 kids because each, you know, her first wife died because of childbirth because, you know, she just gave too many kids. And then he went on and married another woman and continued to have a bunch of more kids. I mean, you know, I understand the context that it's back then, but it doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it right to present it the way that, I guess, Jefferson or any of the white uh, colonial guys would have wanted to present it. Well, it's okay. Right. No, it isn't. And it isn't to present it well, and as okay. That by saying that they do expose moments of Jefferson admitting his hypocrisy. Moments? Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, it's interesting. We'll sprinkle a little bit of, you know, consciousness into it, right? I mean, the historical context of it does not change who was a child. Exactly. You can have a law that says you can get married at 10. It does right. not change that you are a child and do not have consent. That's exactly right. It doesn't right. change your brain. It wasn't that brains matured back then and now they don't. Right. Uh, it's why we have child labor laws, because there were children working who were children and they shouldn't be working. No one is going and trying to change history saying, yeah, but kids back then... They were much more mature, and they were physically developed, and so, of course, children should be working. Nobody makes that argument, but somehow when it comes to uh, marriage and sex and rape and ownership, we all have, uh, not we all, a b- bunch of people want to put it in some historical context right. that makes it okay. Right. And, and, and you, you hit the nose right on the head, hit the head right on whatever that thing is. <laughs> hit the nail right on the head. You're absolutely right. You know, and, you know, I hear from the Confederacy, you know, sympathizers all the time. I mean, no one in Germany would say, well, you know, Goebbels was a good, you know, general and, you know, whatever. I mean, that would be totally foreboding. But yet, we would to be in camps. Right, exactly. Which is crazy. So I'm glad that we're bringing this up. And if anyone from the Warren Theater Company would like to defend themselves and come on the A. Or, yeah, hey. discuss it from, from a different perspective. Sure. Sure. Um, Couple of thoughts I have. Uh, one is um, I'm wondering if it is valuable to put out that list of uh, who the folks are in the coalition, or to allow them to keep their. Well, they're all the names are on the letter, yeah. so all the people who are willing to be known are public already. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, the absolutely. Folks are to the letter yeah. 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 Um, <coughs> the meeting has already happened, mm-hmm. and it was the first of what is proposed to be a few meetings to talk to them about it. MTC had a response, and it was a fairly, yay, we had a meeting, and it really helped us, and we're so sorry. Um, and, and by the way, here's our history. You know, we've really been actively trying to be really good about this, so we just want to remind you of that. And that was what, that was what they ended the letter with, was this sort of, you know, call to their history. This, we've been doing this, and we've been doing, you know, we've been making these efforts, and that's great. I hope this is going to help them to change course and see that you can't, for example, talk about women or any culture. I did Buffalo a few years ago, and that was set in the Philippines. Yeah, written by Jenny Baroga. Jenny Baroga. Black.
bad soldiers, Buffalo soldiers, in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Well, Judy is Filipino. Mm-hmm. She had done a lot of research to yeah. make sure that she was trying to find those voices yeah. of, those, of those African-American soldiers. Yeah. She was respectful of the history. But they were always, from the beginning, I was involved in the project from the beginning mm-hmm. um, and brought my perspective to it. Other people, and we listened when actors got into it, mm-hmm. when they really dug into it. Yeah. We listened. When somebody dismissed something as, oh, well, I just don't know why we're doing that. Well, yeah, you don't know why we're doing it. That doesn't mean <laughs> it's not valid. It means you yeah. don't know. Yeah. I was part of the process, too, and I remember talking to Jeannie about the history of Buffalo soldiers, you know, like we were talking about the turn of the century and why the imperialism, you know, because mm-hmm. during the McKinley administration and right, what, yeah, man, well, yeah, uh, because it was they were the troops of Manifest Destiny. They pushed us all the way to the coast. Yeah, yeah, and 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 the fact that there was gold there. Right. So, in any case, Jeannie listened. I mean, that's the that's the whole point of it all. And I wonder, you know, you say that you hope that Marin Theater will learn something from it. Well, you have to have the capacity to learn. I mean, if they wanted to learn, why didn't they listen mm-hmm. to the women who were talking right then and there? The way that Jeannie listened to you well, and, and a bunch of other, and a bunch of other folks. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. That's, that's just a reality. Yeah. As a man, I find I'm, I'm so used to the let's talk over each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm learning that when I hear a woman's voice, and that's when I'm starting to talk over it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> To pull back a little. That is true. And, yeah, and, boy, we can definitely talk about, you know, just – because I, th- I still think about the Weinstein thing and the Kevin Spacey thing and just men not controlling their libido and and not knowing how to communicate and talk well, and to women. And a structure that allows for that as yeah. opposed to a structure that makes sure that there's yeah. some ability to go, hey, stop. Yeah. But I think there's also you have to actually believe that the other person is a human being. Exactly. Because if you don't believe that, then there's no reason for you to listen yeah. to them, right? I mean, it's yeah. just it kind of ends it. I think, you know, Dominique Morisot, I think, in talking about MTC, was really great. She said, you know, art is wonderful to work through your shit, uh, and that's fantastic, but you don't then have the right to put all of your shit on stage. Like, yeah. you can't produce all of it. But it's like, but there's, I think there are things that people put into the world, and someone might say, oh, Dominique, that's really interesting, and then move on and yeah. not actually analyze because again it's like you can't produce knowledge you can't actually uh, mm-hmm. come into the room i mean my sister was little she's a literal rocket scientist so aerospace engineer oh, nice. from michigan however when she was at michigan and this is like 30 years ago but uh i'm not sure the sciences have proven themselves to have evolved very much since then but she was introducing and obviously she designed rockets did all this thing and they were talking about a, an electromagnetic field generator awesome. and her instructors completely poo-pooed her pushed her away mm. i mean imagine how far we could come if we uh, we were would be right now, if we had allowed her voice to actually be something, because now it's like, oh, now we're going to bandy around this topic when right. we could have been on top of it. But it's again, who do we think of as actually creating knowledge? Who do we even think of as human deserving of saying, "Don't touch me"? Yeah, um, like mm-hmm. we just don't think some people are. Intelligent. Yeah, I mean, if she were a white man, then you know, I guess they would have listened to her, which right. is shame. It's it's a it's it's That's just it's a shame. Put a white man her, in. No, cast her, her as a white man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and, and you read them, and it's it's one of my. Um, mm-hmm. I love Shakespeare. I love doing Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Um, people often, I mean, we're doing Hamlet modern verse. People do things like that, and there are people who get upset about it. And I understand that you could have made the story something else. You could have made the story. You could have taken that as your mm-hmm. inspiration and gone someplace else. With yeah. It. Mm-hmm. But when you call it yeah. the historical figures. Then you sort of have a responsibility to yeah. deal with that history. Yeah, honor the playwright. Yeah, and and just the level of communication, being honest with communication. You know, like when I talk about you know men dealing with women. I mean, it really begins from childhood. You know, how does right. a boy taught by mom or dad how to relate to yeah. a woman, yeah. and the capacity to say, you know what, I was wrong. I'm sorry. And when you talk about institutions, I mean, if an institution is built around a particular person who has that type of power, whatever, then you have the problem. That's why Kevin Spacey got to get away with what he was doing with House of Cards or whoever's, you know, I don't want to get into the Marin Theater thing, but obviously they listened to one individual or maybe a group of people, I think one individual, who said, hey, we're going in this direction. I don't want to hear anything else. And when an institution doesn't have the capacity to say, wait a minute, you are wrong, and we're going to remove you. I mean, you know, even Apple fired Steve Jobs right. because, you know, he was taking them in the wrong direction. You have to have the courage and as an institution to say, listen, we're going in the wrong direction. I mean, Marin Theater Company, I imagine their reputation, you know, should be 
you know, really they had some ruined. people in the room. They had some women in the room. Mm-hmm. So don't know how this conversation went in the direction it went. Yeah. Um, but I do know that when you want to say, well, the playwright is black and therefore, and it's like, well, you know, I know that I personally do not represent all of black America. Yeah. <laughs> so if I'm yeah. telling a story, I'm telling it from my perspective. Yeah. And when somebody wants to come at it from another perspective, I have to put my hands up and go, wow, I'm actually ignorant of that. Yeah. That's the difference, too, between using race and other demographics as a shortcut to some sort of cultural understanding, because it doesn't necessarily mean that. So if you're trying to get people in the room who actually can give you good feedback on a piece, it's not really as helpful to just have a checklist of, oh, so we have a black person in the room. Oh, we have a woman in the room. That's not actually a substitute. We can all name people that we do not want to speak for our interests, even though they may share a designation. So it's, and I like that the the letter that the coalition put out actually incorporates that in, in the demands, which is cultural understanding versus some shorthand in that way. Because what people end up doing, well, some of my best friends are black, or right. this black right. person told right. me that, of course, it's great to say all lives matter, right? I mean, it's just, you yeah. know, and it becomes not actually an understanding. Yeah. And they did agree to that. That's, at least in their letter, they said, that makes sense to us. We will make sure that we have a cultural person in the... That's what Moran said? That's, that's their... Yeah, okay. Well, Well, there's supposed to be a follow-up meeting at some point, which I don't think has been scheduled yet. Right, Right. I know, the uh, the letter just came out this week. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, if they care about their reputation, I mean, this can destroy a theater's reputation. I mean, I I don't care what they produce next. You know, if if I got a phone call, I I don't think I would join. I mean, you know, Lost House, Gobbler, these these are plays that came out of a time where they literally created riots in the street. People were like... Mm -hmm. Holy cow, a woman able to talk for herself. Yeah, <laughs> but all for the right reason. Um, well, I, I think within that cultural context, no, people were very upset and attacking. Mm-hmm. The theater stood its ground, and history says, yeah, yeah. You know, we're so happy. But still that. for the right reason. I mean, that's different from Thomas and, and Sally. I, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure what position they were taking. So yeah. That's, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Um, at least I think I hear what you're saying. Yeah. And that they are... We, from our perspective, they're not listening still. They're mm-hmm. not really engaging in a mm-hmm. conversation where they're making an effort to just listen and absorb. Yeah. Um, and, it's, and it's the entertainment industry, right, where bad press is good press often. Yeah. I mean, it, they did fill some of their seats with people who are like, well, I just want to see it for yeah. myself, which, of course, again, denies the authority of certain people to say, no, this play is harmful and wrong. Yeah. The idea that you have to actually, uh, the, one of the analogies I made was to the military when it was first, you know, we can't have men and women in combat together, we can't right. have gays in the military, right. and their excuse always was, well, you're not in the military, therefore right. you don't know, so you shouldn't have an opinion. Right. And people on the outside are like, no, I actually can say but there's still this whole, like, no, if you don't experience it, which is which is a fallacious way of, of concluding any idea. It's like you can't – I have to – that's part of the reason we keep circling as human beings into these areas of fault is because we keep saying, well, no, I'm going to experiment for myself. Then I'll make my conclusion. Like, you can tell me cocaine's addictive, but until I try it for myself, I'm not really going to believe you. Like, we keep doing that. Like, you can tell me climate, but da-da-da. Like, we just keep spinning ourselves in this way – that we can't somehow intellectualize the experience of someone else and actually take that at, mm-hmm. as this is a valuable piece of information. I don't have to do everything myself in order to know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I remember there was a case where a uh, defense's argument was, well, he couldn't find the intent to kill because he was high, and therefore, you know, he didn't have the right thing. But still, you had, you had, you had the intent to, you know, to, to do it, and you just had something in your mind. So I still wonder about the intent of, like, the Marin Company, and, well, and what I love is they ended the letter with a call to action for our national theater community. While prompted by recent events, this letter and our requests are a response to many years of watching our stories be misrepresented, censored, appropriated, and exploited. People of color across the country continue to face these issues, and we recognize our allied communities in this intersectional struggle for equity and representation on stage, particularly when these representations have real-world consequences. This open letter serves not as a, not just as a recommendation for NTC, but for the other theater companies, large and small, moving forward. Mm-hmm. If NTC or any theater company across the nation wishes to create diverse works of art by telling black or POC, people of color narratives, mm-hmm. they must take responsibility for the message they are promoting. Any theater institution across the nation who doesn't have the resources to develop a piece by a person 
any system systemically marginalized artist should deeply consider whether continuing with the production is responsible. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, it is. It's a well well read letter. And it's it's well written letter. It's well thought out. And what I because one of the pushbacks is, well, should we just not do those things? You're going to make these companies not do it. And I'm like, well, honestly, I remember when Six Degrees of Separation came out, mm-hmm. and I was so happy to hear that there was a play on Broadway with a black character in it, or there was about a black character. I thought, and then I read the play, and I went, this is so not about this black character. And the actor, mm-hmm. yeah, you get a juicy little moment towards the end, and your your initial scene, mm-hmm. you know, you've got to have some skills to be able to pull that off. Mm-hmm. But it, it, you don't take a journey. You do not, and it is not your story. Yeah, this is a story of a guy pretending to be someone else. I think the son of Sidney Poitier, right? Yeah, yeah. He claims to be the son of Sidney Poitier. Um, but it is about this community of affluent, affluent white um, cultural white people. Yeah. Who, how they are affected by this, and how they try to deal with it. What's mm-hmm. great about him is he's not a gangbanger or any of that, you know. So he's not those images that we normally see. But nor is he a fully realized human being. And I found myself going, "Wow, I hope nobody comes and talks to me about this as if it's a black story, <laughs> because it is not a black story. Yeah, yeah. It's a black story the way looking out the window and saying, "Oh, there's a black guy over there waiting for the bus. <laughs> Therefore, my community is integrated because I have a relationship with black people." Yeah. yeah. I remember cringing when I uh, saw that. I, it was a movie with uh, Will Smith. Yeah, and uh, I was like, yeah. And I hope no one comes to me and say, hey, what'd you think about that? Six degrees. Like, so. So if they don't do those stories because yeah. they are worried about this and they don't want to take those steps, because the other side of it is, let's be realistic about the business side of this. And again, I will reference Buffalo because San Jose Stage did it. Mm-hmm. I don't think they were fully happy about the results. Specifically, the Filipino community did not come out. Of course they didn't. San Jose Stage has been there for decades. Mm-hmm. How many times have they done anything relating to the Filipino community? So mm-hmm. if you are a cultured person in the San Jose area mm-hmm. and you go to theater, yeah. you might go to San Jose Stage. But if you are looking for something that reflects your story, exactly. your reality, exactly. you don't think about San Jose Stage. Yeah. So the majority of that community knows that that is not a place to go for their stuff. When you are suddenly doing a play that relates to them yeah. and you don't reach out to them, yeah, and they did make some efforts, but mm-hmm. I mean, you got to make some huge efforts to say, "Wow, we are really doing something different." Which mm-hmm. means partly you have to own that you have not been right, doing it. right, right. Yeah. And it's about even it's more roles than just the ones that are supposed to be for a community. It's if you have a history of not actually employing, and it's a violation of employment law, frankly, but it's if you have a history of only putting white males in lead roles, which Hollywood has this huge history of doing, and so do theaters. If you've only done that, then, of course, people aren't looking to you to somehow be some, now you're welcoming and embracing. You have decided that only certain people can play certain roles and that you can only play a role that has to do with your culture. And otherwise, you're not a part of our conversation. We don't see you as actually employable. Uh, I mean, so it's, a, it's, it's much bigger than that. Well, and so my hope is to, to bring it down to a financial level is if they make those efforts, I think they will get those out. I think mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, I go to MTC. I the last thing I saw was the convert, which I have to admit I cringed. <laughs> um, but I'm sitting in a largely white audience, mm-hmm. and I'm experiencing it now. The moment that will stick with me is when Peter Callender was playing the chieftain who was coming to interrupt this Christian missionary thing. I remember you talking to me about this. Yeah. Yeah, and he comes in, chest bare, almost in a grass skirt. You know, and and. If he didn't have a top hat, his his yeah. whole getup indicated just that sort of a you know caricature. Yeah. And he bro- played it broadly and bigly. Now, yes, it breathed because it's Peter Callender. There was a human within that, but it was a weird human. Yeah. And as a black person, knowing what that image has been my whole life, sure. in movies and TV, yeah. those are always the ignorant, primitive Africans. Yeah. That's what you're giving us. You're yeah. not giving us a culture that has been around for millennia. You're not giving us, you know, the depth of what is going on in that society, in that culture. Mm-hmm. You're giving us the their weak inability to interact with your English-speaking people. Yeah. That's what you're giving us. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there, and that is my experience. I know that is not the experience of the white audience around Exactly. Them, even if they have seen the same things I've seen, yeah. and even if they cringed at them, yeah. they do not personally go, oh, this affects my identity. This yeah. is related to my identity. 
And so when I talk about intent of a theater company, if let's say Moran, you know, says, hey, we want to do multicultural, you know, we do and do a culturally diverse piece, does that, I mean, when, when I talk about it, it's not just doing the piece and bringing in a couple of, well, I know an Asian person, let me bring an Asian person, I know, hey, my neighbor's black, whatever, that's, you know, that's just icing on the cake. I mean, that's right. just doing the bare minimum. Right. I don't think that's that. What if a real intent is what I'm talking about is bringing someone who will really challenge you, who will really, you know, add their voice to it. I mean, let's say they hire, if they cast either you or I in something like the Chieftain or whatever, or let's say Sally and and Thomas having that conversation, like, hey, I don't like the way the script is going, and you know, and can we talk about this or that? Instead of shutting it down, I know I'm repeating ourselves, and we were sort of repeating, but to allow that to come in, to allow conversation and dialogue to come in, if that theater company wants to really grow and bring in an audience which is really multiculturally diverse, to have someone say, hey, wow, they really represent the black perspective, or, you know, that's something that... At least in the development process. Right, exactly. And maybe they're jaded by by the community. They're like, hey, the audience likes it, so what the hell? I think so much of it begins, because especially in the Bay Area, I think people can point to progressive ideologies and policies and say, yes, absolutely, and then they cannot do it themselves in their own life, and they are not able to reflect on themselves, and if someone calls them on their behavior, then they're very defensive. No, it's not, it's, I didn't mean that, that's not what happened, you interpreted it incorrectly, and so part, and I've been throwing this around a little bit in my mind, trying to think of this would be something people could do, where you're actually in any moment in your life considering how you've cast that scene in your life, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're going through who's the lead in the scene, who's supporting, and who you're just thinking of as background or something. Like in this moment as I'm talking to people, do I see these as my co-stars? Is this an ensemble right now? Mm -hmm. And who am I deciding is just background noise? So that, which explains those moments in meetings where someone says something Nobody hears it, or only a few people, and then someone who you consider the lead mm-hmm. says it, and now you can acknowledge it. Right. So it's not that you're actually intentionally not listening. Mm-hmm. It's somewhere in the back of your mind, right. but it's just like when you're watching a scene at the airport. I was thinking of Get Out, right? Like oh, oh, yeah. you're watching the scene at the airport, and mm-hmm. you would notice if people weren't there walking by and the, right. and the taxis and that thing, yeah. but you're not actually paying attention to them. They're complete right. background, <laughs> and so you have no idea what they're saying. You don't actually, you're not paying any attention, and mm-hmm. I wonder if people could do that in their own moments in their own life yeah. that it would give them some insight into their own bigotry and yeah. like how they're actually treating people because I'm not sure where th- yeah. how to bridge that part yeah. of but people have to want to do it you know you, you can you know you can as my mother would say you can bring someone a plate of greens but if they don't eat it well I think a lot of people want to I think what you're getting at is there's that place because I see this all the time when I read stuff about how to be a good ally and the first thing is shut up Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the second listen. thing is listen. Right. But the first thing is catch yourself and go, "Whoa, am I not letting somebody else say something?" And then when they say something and it hits me wrong, mm-hmm. what is it? to really own that? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have to say they're right and I'm wrong. I do have to ask myself, why am I so sure that my position is better than their position? Mm-hmm. And is there any way I can try to listen to their position better? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's weird because when you go down those lists of what it is to be a good ally, one of them is, and now I'm going to encourage that other voice. Mm-hmm. So I am just going to, from my place of privilege, say something. But instead of me just saying it, I'm going to say, you know, that was a good idea. Would you say that again? Mm-hmm. Because I think what you said made sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really get, and it's so funny. If you want to feel a sense of power, there's nothing like opening the door up, and you don't lose power in that mm-hmm. moment. Right. But you give somebody else power, yeah. that actually raises yeah. your power a little bit. Mm-hmm. And there's humility involved in that. The, the, the humility to say, I don't understand, so I need to listen. Like when I wrote, okay, so we just did Musical Cafe, uh, the musical Mia. I had to do some rewrites because I wrote about a female character, but of course I'm a man. Right. And in one of the uh, readbacks that we had, you know, one of the uh, creators said, you know, this sounds a little misogynistic. And, of course, I wanted to be defensive, but I had to catch myself and say, you know what, let me listen. And I re- I'd retweet the uh, the piece. I let the actors read, and I was like, listen, to how do you guys feel about it? And it went well. So you really have to have the humility to listen. And some people do, some people don't, unfortunately. 
Well, I was wondering if, like, the additional step to how to be a good ally is not only do you have to catch yourself shutting people down and open the door, but you actually do need to figure out how you can reflect on your patterns of behavior so that you can actually not – because I think what happens is people elevate themselves. I think it's a natural, like, I'm going to elevate myself Mm -hmm. that I'm not actually committing these problems or creating these problems in the world or committing these wrongs. And so, yes, I'm opening the door, but it's still not – it still doesn't quite get to that point of you need to look at how you are in the world mm-hmm. and figure out what that pattern is and then take responsibility for it, be able to acknowledge that it actually is harmful and that you need to change it. So it's sort of that, like, because I think that's where people need to, it's, it, which I think for every problem, like climate change, like, oh, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, shouldn't litter. Oh, but I just did. Or, you know, whatever it is. Or, right. you know, but uh, because I think people just always make a barrier into them being a contributor to, an, it, to a problem. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. What we did skip over was asking how you got into theater. Oh, yeah, give us, an or, give us an origin story. Well, theater and also law, I mean, you know, it sounds like you're just, you know, multi, you do all sorts of things. So. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I mean, I think I, I uh, blame or credit how, whatever words you want to use on my, I'm from a STEM family. So, you know, I have, as I said, the aerospace engineer sister. But my father, protein chemist, mother was zoologist. That's how they met in the lab. And I, to some extent, think my parents thought of my sister and myself. Are you here in the Are you born and raised here? I was not. I was, I call myself a science brat because, as right. you know, researchers move to oh. different university towns. Mm-hmm. So, oh, so, you know, it's like you start out at UMass or something, and then you end up at Iowa or, and then Madison, and then you're in Honolulu. And so this was my life, and then Evanston, Illinois, primarily before I came out here to go to Berkeley undergrad. But I think my parents thought of us kind of as an experiment, which makes sense given their training. And so they, you know, put us into all sorts of classes and we did all sorts of things. So we kind of grew up, my sister and I, doing music and singing and dance and athletics and, and, and all of that is in addition to um, schooling. I am. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Six medals. Six medals. Yeah, I'm an indoor rower. And so um, in my stress over the last couple of weeks, I broke three world records. That's awesome. Uh, That's <laughs> so I'm like, you know, just rowing like crazy. Wow. Like one of them was a 24-hour row, which yeah. I literally was like, I'm going to work out my my issues by yeah. rowing for a full yeah. day. But I wouldn't necessarily recommend any. I was in rowers. Uh, like I live uh, right yeah. on. Uh, beautiful. Oh, yeah. yeah, but the, uh, every Saturday, I'm surprised they're not there now. But there's a, there's there's a, a team. team. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what school they're from. Uh, Berkeley High School is one of them. I know because yeah. I had a friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They have adult teams as well. Yeah. yeah. You have to have strong arms. Continue. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, so anyway, so I was, you know, in school, I always, and I always thought I was going to do more than one thing. Like, it never occurred to me mm-hmm. that we were only supposed to find one thing. I'm like, why are you educating me on math as well as English as well as, like, like why are you educating me on all these things if you don't expect me to be good at all these things? So, <laughs> so it was the logic I had. Yeah. Um, so I ended up going to Berkeley and then uh, going to Harvard for law school and practicing doing disability rights work for a number of years. Uh, and because of sexual harassment issues, actually, in, the, in my own uh, practice experience, mm-hmm. I decided... Uh, well, one of my friends decided you need to come to my acting class with me to just kind of work through that stuff. You work all the time, and this is stressful. Mm. And my coach, uh, um, Cliff Osmond, you remember who was here at the Actors Studio here in oh, San Francisco uh-huh. who passed away a few years ago. But um, he immediately was like, you need to just go audition for things. He said, if, just think of that as your class, which I always thought was a really great perspective to take. Oh, so I just started auditioning. I booked a bunch of Mattel jingles. I think was the first wow. thing that I booked. Uh, and then I decided I was having a much better time <laughs> than struggling through sexual harassment <laughs> and practicing law. Uh, so I just made the transition to entertainment for so for a number of years was only doing mm-hmm. uh, entertainment industry work and then decided kind of because of the environment. It's like, well, I went from sexual harassment to sexual harassment and also racial and everything else. Um, so this is not exactly what I <laughs> really want to do as mm-hmm. much as I like performing. And then thought, I've got to get leaders of tomorrow to actually be able to think more critically about these issues and to think more globally um, and in different contexts with social justice. So that's why I ended up at Stanford. Yeah. I have a question for you. Do yeah. you think, because I've introduced uh, the thought that, especially with kids, using theater to work out issues, mm-hmm. theater as a vehicle, as a means of addressing issues like sexual harassment mm-hmm. and other things. I mean, like I know at, at our office they'll show a video um, of, you know, like like scenarios yeah. and things. Do you think the theater can it can be a positive way of pushing these these ideas that you have, like 
Yeah, I mean, the Theater of the Oppressed is amazing for that. I don't know if you've ever done any work with them, but it'd be, that's, that's awesome. They're fantastic. Yeah, I don't know that most people, like faculty at Stanford, are going to want to engage <laughs> in a Theater of the Oppressed Day uh, workshop. But I do think, I mean, I think narrative is always really good about getting people to be persuaded for thing mm-hmm. uh, for things that they wouldn't otherwise be if you just talk to them. And it gives them illustrations. I think yeah. sometimes in those videos, they're the more ridiculous extremes. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Here, and I think people need a little yeah. bit more subtlety yeah. to recognize how they're manifesting. But also, people are just being, not just watching the theater, but even being a part of it. Like, yeah. let's say, taking someone who may have some issues of misogyny. Hey, I'm going to put you in a role of a woman. And mm-hmm. here's a script, and, you know, let's see, let's act the scene out. Well, virtual reality is trying to do that, actually. Mm-hmm. And there's um, some, there's the virtual reality lab at Stanford, and I know they're doing that more broadly, but um, the lab there is trying to do things where you actually, so you would see your reflection, and actually now you're a woman, or you're, some, you're something else, right? And so then you interact in that way, and I don't mm-hmm. know where they've scripted the scenes, mm-hmm. but it's uh, an effort to figure out how you can make people more empathetic by putting them into conditions that other people are experiencing. No, that's a great idea. That's a, that's a fantastic idea. You have any questions? Yeah, well, I'm part of the uh, Women's Media Action Coalition, which was a result of the Women's Media Summit that happened earlier this year. And so there's a white paper that's available. I'll send you links to things. Because sure. I have a law review article, and I would love for people to read about more of the intersection of law and uh, employment in the entertainment industry, and there's a white paper that's trying to figure out how to get more women to an equitable number in Hollywood. But one of the things that came out of that, I know, right, one of the things that came out of that was Mm grademymovie.com, which is actually for movies that are coming out that weekend, Mm -hmm. you can see how they get, what grade they get on race and gender uh, in the top three positions as performers and behind the scenes, and it'll give them a grade, and mostly people get Ds and Fs (laughs) (laughs) for any production. So that's that's where we're at, and then you can decide uh, where you want to put your dollars. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because uh, a couple of, it may have been even a month ago, I think there was a, um, an actress, um, I'm trying to think of her name, but it was about women equality and women pay, and there was a male actor who basically told his agent and the company, lower my pay so I could be equal to this actress so that she can you know, present to another agency or whatever, I got the same pay as mm-hmm. the top actor or whatever. I mean, do you deal with pay discrimination? Oh, uh, yeah. I, sh- I won't name the theater company here, <laughs> but one of my, I think it was when I first got my equity card and I did a show, and of course what they said was that we were all earning the same thing, and then I found, and I was the only woman in the show. Uh, it ended up seeming like it was more, because there was one well, I don't know what his role was pretty minor, but it ended up we were earning the same amount, mm-hmm. and then the other males, all of them white, were all earning more. Because uh. I didn't know about the like what foreign nations writer or something like that. Oh, I didn't yeah. know about it, so yeah. I didn't know to put it in the contract. Yeah. I just sort of trusted them, uh, and so certainly that has happened. That happens not only just in theater and Hollywood; it certainly happens on all sorts of jobs. Sure. Uh, California just adopted, wasn't it last year? It was supposed to be about equal pay in some way, and so one of the questions is how is that law actually going to impact Hollywood right. as far as income? And some people like uh, Jennifer Lawrence and them have come out with income. I think that was one of the people who I, was I, think, I think that was the person. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she had brought that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're hitting the hour mark. Um, so um, why don't we uh, do shout outs? It's, um, uh, it's that time of the month mm-hmm. where we talk about the County Action Project. Mm. Um, Valerie Week. Yeah. yeah. So for October, they had 15 shows. And, um, and the, the stats. Playwrights, 17 playwrights are represented. Five women, 12 men. Directors, 19 uh, directors, 10 women, 9 men. Union actors, 72, 38 women, 35 men. Non-union actors, 28 women, 23 men. And the total is uh, 125, 224 actors and 66 women, 58 men, 72 union, 51 non-union, 93 local, 35. And nice list of all the different shows that uh, that were listed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I look forward to it. And it's self-reporting, so I'm like, oh, gosh, i got to get Hamlet on the list. But, yeah, Valerie Week has been doing this for a while. Mm-hmm. And what I love about it is she's not making any effort to, like, color this in some way. Mm-hmm. She's like, here's the information. Yeah. Because I think if we count, then we can begin a discussion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Unlike 
was thinking at the start of your discussion, yeah. really a positive I would love to see um, it, it, the list break down on like race and, and uh, other demographics. And I started to send her an email when I first heard about it. In fact, I stopped her one day. I saw her riding bike with her Berkeley, mm-hmm. and she stopped and said hi for a minute. And I started to, I was like, oh, I don't want to stop you, but <clears throat> in my brain, I went, I got to talk to you about that. And I, by the time I got home, I was like, no, I don't. Yeah, I think amazing it's, thing she's doing. Yeah. She's doing good work. Mm-hmm. I want to do it. Right. I can do it or somebody else can do it. You can't. When somebody is doing something amazing, you yeah. can't look at it and say, well, that inspires me to yeah. tell you to do more. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say that someone should be doing that work as well as particular disability, which are the most underemployed, yeah. well, oh, and Native right. American yeah. uh, performers most underemployed in, in the industry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I'm going to be bad about any of the shout-outs. Hamlet, Hamlet! Come see Hamlet, yes, exactly. Birthdays? Birthdays. Um, so, coming up this week, uh, Stuart Fozell, who runs that crazy Olympiad thing. What's that? Um, over at the Exit Theater, he's been doing it for years now, where they get a bunch of writers to come in and write, I guess, show pieces. I've never actually mm. seen it, mm-hmm. um, and I've never gotten involved because it's all non-union. Oh, so, yeah. yeah, I can't bother. Right. Uh, he and I were actually, we met on a panel where the panel was about playwrights and playwrights getting work. Mm-hmm. It devolved into a debate between union and non-union, mm. and somebody, thankfully, was able to kind of get us back on track. <laughs> and he was wonderful about it, yeah. so I actually do appreciate and respect him. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, Greg Watanabe, who is an actor down in L.A. now, mm. Linda Jones, actor in New York, Christian Haynes, who is also a piano fight and Wonderful actor. I saw him this year in um, Seagull. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. Uh, Epson, right? Uh, no. Uh, Chekhov? Chekhov. Yeah. Epson, Chekhov. I keep it was on. a wonderful little production over here um, in Oakland, but just off the edge of Berkeley. Mm-hmm. And um, I, in fact, some people came to our opening last night who were involved with it. And I was like, I just have to tell you how much I enjoyed that production. Mm-hmm. A little bit better than that. Yeah. Uh, James Brooks, um, one of our senior graduates. And uh, I have um, Brent Blower, a good friend of mine. We acted in The Marriage of Bette and Boo a long, long time ago. Actor and also wonderful classic guitarist. So, uh, Brent, uh, happy birthday to you. Richard Harder, we had him on uh, a couple of, um, I think a month or so ago. He is the um, director and uh, the, uh, the co-owner of Off-Broadway West. Um, and so his birthday was on the 3rd yesterday. So, and Terry Alabada, we, she was also a guest on The Yay. She's a makeup artist and a uh, Philippine actress as well. Her birthday is today. So, that's that. Oh, go, go for it. Birthday on this one. This was from a few weeks ago, Alan Pugmorio's birthday. That's right, and Alan too. So yeah. I started, and since we've taken some time off, I haven't kept up with it, but I started putting out to the birthday people, Yeah. what would be your dream project? Make mm-hmm. a birthday wish for the role that you would like and to And Alan Q, what do you say? Caesar. He would be fantastic as Caesar. we got to get Alan Q on here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah happy birthday to Alan and everybody. Absolutely. Did you see his little baby picture that he put up? I think I did. Oh, my God. Was he had a hat on? Did he have a hat on, I think? No, but no. it's so cute. Oh, my God. Yeah. He's often cute. Yes, he is. He's still cute. I had to remind him, yes, yeah. he's so cute. Yeah, he's fantastic. He directed me in a piece, and uh, he's, he's a fantastic actor. He was also in Hamlet, another Hamlet. Right. Yeah. Um, the, Rogue, uh, um, um, Ninja. I think Ninja they're, the, they're getting ready to do Midsummer Night's Dream. So is that right? Amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are there any shows that you want to promote or put a shout out? I am not in any shows. I mean, I <laughs> so I would just give a shout out again. Dexter Davis, D Street Media, thank you for standing up to things. Carolyn Heldman, who's been really great about, she's actually has a page that has a list of all the Weinstein and all the other oh, folks okay. that are coming up. So she's holding it. She has a list of all the people we should be worried about working with. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and Tracy Camp and everyone else in the coalition. Awesome. Yeah. And um, Berkeley Rep, uh, Berkeley Rep, no, Shotgun Films in Berkeley mm-hmm. um, is about to open Duck Rider, the Tom Waits, um, William S. Burroughs oh, wow. collaboration. Yeah. Um, and I think Mark Rathbun's going to be there. I'm not sure. Elizabeth says. 
I do have one thing. So I do an annual symposium on equity in the entertainment industry at Stanford. It's going to happen March 9th, 2018. The keynote will be by Patricia Velasquez, who was actually played Anx on the Moon in The Mummy. Um, but she's delivering the keynote. It's free. So everyone mark March 9th, which is a Friday. It'll be during the afternoon. Come down to Stanford. March 9th? 2018. Oh, 2018? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. So that's a while back, but that's okay. We'll plug it. We'll, we'll continue to plug it. And uh, there are a couple of shows that are still going on. Uh, the Further Adventure, well, of course, Hamlet. <laughs> that's right, It's it, which is fantastic at the, um, the Arabian Shakespeare Festival, and that's exactly right. Uh, the Further Adventures of Henry Gabler, a dragon production that's still going on, that ends uh, November 19th, directed by Dale Albright. Strange Ladies, Central Works, that is still running. That will uh, run until, actually, I'm sorry, it, it hasn't run yet. It opens on October the 12th, and it'll end November the 12th. Huh? If it was October the 12th. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm thinking November, yes. So it'll end November the 12th, and uh, Radhika Rao, she is in that, and she was a former guest on the Yay. Ah, yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, and I have Angel Street, Road Player of the Ensemble, opens, um, well, it closes tomorrow at the Village Theater, 233 Front Street in Danville. Alan Coyne is in that. Alan Coyne, didn't he win a TBA award? I think he won. I didn't look at the list. That's one thing. Yeah. I, I, I know he was a final. Yeah. Award, so <laughs> I don't even, I'm happy. I, I praise people and congratulate people. Yeah. I know he was a finalist. I don't know if he won, but either way, congratulations, Alan Coyne, uh, for being nominated and possibly winning uh, for Best Male Actor, I believe, in a comedy for An Ideal Husband. And Rotimia Babiaka mm-hmm. also won for Typecast. Yeah, yes. I think he won two. Yeah, for his solo show, yeah. So he won two, I think. Fantastic. Yeah. That's oh, awesome. Okay. So maybe next week we, we actually <laughs> talk about it. <laughs> oh, the TV. So we have on, yeah. if you haven't already. We have not. Sure. Yeah. Let's, let, hey, let's go for it. Hope you had fun. I did. Thank you so much. For Fantastic. Yeah, really appreciate it. Yeah, Absolutely. And like I said, we could have gone further and further and further, but we didn't want to dominate your time. Okay, let me do my blurb. You can find the Yay on the Apple Podcast app on all iPhones and iPads. Of course, you're already listening to it, but you can tell other folks. You can also find the Yay on iTunes. Just click on iTunes if you use a laptop or a desktop for listening to podcasts. Uh, go on iTunes, click on Store, and you're not going to buy anything. Don't worry about that. Use the search engine on the upper left-hand side and search for the Yay. You can find us. For Android users, download the SoundCloud app or just go on SoundCloud.com and search for the Yay. The A was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Facebook, and we'll take it from there. And we've got to find a better sign-off, and we are out.